listeners to The Archetype Project. We've got a very special summer season coming your way, and we hope you're excited to join us. I'm Natalie Newman, Director of Digital Media at the American Institute of Architecture Students, or AIAS, and to close out our 60th year, we're having a special three-episode summer season, and all of our guests will be former AIS members. So how cool is that? Uh, we're kicking off the first of the lineup with someone you might be familiar with, our very own Kimberly Tuttle. She herself is an archetype. She's trained as an architect. She's actually licensed. So Kim, just tell us who you are and what you do in a nutshell. Sure. So um, I actually am originally from Maine. I went to school in Vermont at Norwich University. I got my five-year master's there and I went back to the coast of Maine to practice for about 10 years, um, doing high-end residential, uh, learning a lot about working in small firms, and uh, also how to manage um, husband and wife uh, relationships and who wants to spend the money and who wants to uh, save the money. Um, Within your architecture firm? Yes. Yeah, that was a really tricky balance because you typically have one person who wants to um, has the the eye and they want to spend the money on the really fancy materials and then you have the other one who's like I'm not writing a check for that so you have to be careful you know balance that relationship it can be quite tricky sometimes now me knowing you who who were you in that relationship oh I'm totally the design <laughs> I think I could guess that <laughs> yeah my budget is way low and my my Vision is um, quite quite tasty, <laughs> quite expensive. <laughs> Very visionary, wonderful. <laughs> well, what do you do now? Um, so in 2014, right after I uh, finished the the ARE, I um, got offered a job to come work for NCARB, um, which most of you guys know is the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. And I got the opportunity to travel around the country kind of sharing my story and my experience with taking the exam and going through internship um, because like many of you probably will um, I didn't pass the exam all in the first try and I found that by traveling around the country and talking to people it um, it really that was a common thing like you're you're not Many people fail many divisions of the exam before they will finally have the success of passing everything. So um, that is one thing that I hope you keep in mind as you're going through this whole process is that it does take time and many there are very few people who actually do it all in the first try. And if they tell you they did, well, good for them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sarcasm. <laughs> I was like, ooh, there's a little... Hint of hint of hint of a burn there. <laughs> no, it's just like <laughs> there are those folks who will tell you they pass it on the first try, and you're just like, uh huh, good for you. <laughs> a burn or a bit of jealousy, Kim? <laughs> jealousy, for sure. <laughs> so you were at NCARB for how long? Yeah, so I was at NCARB for about 18 months, um, and really, really enjoyed getting to talk to people and uh, helping them on their path to uh, get licensed if that was what they chose to do um, but the every every other night in a different hotel um, kind of got tiring so um, when this position to 
uh, work for the AIS opened up, I was really excited because it still meant being able to help people get to where they wanted to be with their career, but um, a little less time on the road um, and a little more time being able to create some programs that will that will help students out. Great. So you may not be the the typical archetype that maybe Obi would have interviewed in the past because you are indeed licensed. Yes, so I went through the whole process. Um, it took me seven years. Um, so I did my five-year master's and I got licensed in Maine and back then Maine, actually Maine is still one of the few states that requires you to finish your internship before you can even start testing. So I did about four, four and a half years of interning and then I was able to start taking my exams. So about seven years total. Nice. Now, you know, why did you choose to go to architecture school or when did architecture really come to the radar for you? Um, so actually I was listening to one of Obi's earlier podcasts and there was this woman who was talking about how when she was younger, and Obi hadn't heard this, which I thought was kind of funny, um, but when she was younger, she used to play with Barbies a lot, and I'm thinking... Donna Sink, yeah? Yeah, yeah, so she would play with Barbies, and <laughs> she would make apartments, and as soon as the apartment or the house was all designed, she'd be done, and my sister, my younger sister and I used to do this a lot, and she would get really upset with me, because as soon as I was finished setting up their house, I was done playing. <laughs> Um, but Obi hadn't, you know, hadn't heard that before, which I thought was kind of comical because I feel like that might be a, a common trend in us, us females. Um, but Legos, Lincoln Logs, um, all that sort of thing. I really liked playing with that sort of stuff when I was younger, drawing. So wh when did it really hit you that like, yes, architecture school would be the thing for me? Well, I started taking drafting classes when I was in high school, um, actually in middle school too, art and drafting. Um, and then I ended up going to, I was in the vocational program, so I started taking like serious drafting classes sophomore year. Um, then went into like the full-time drafting classes junior and senior year, and I was fortunate enough that my, my mom had helped me set up a, um, uh, what do you call them? Not an internship. Is um like a school to work? Oh, it was a job shadow. It was just a job shadow at a local firm, and um, I went in one day and kind of got a feel for what it was like. And when I came home, my mom was like, "All right, so pick up the phone, <laughs> call them, and ask them for a job." And I was super, super shy at this point. I was extremely shy, and I didn't want to pick up the phone. But you know, with some coaching, my mom was like, you know picked up the phone, gave him a call, and, um, you know, I pretty much offered to work for free. Like, I'd file just to be in the firm atmosphere to get a sense of what it, that was like. So I would leave school every other day at around 10.30, and I would go work in an architecture firm for the rest of the day, and then I would come back and do my sports and stuff. So I got to, to work in this firm as um, an interiors librarian, kind of working with the catalogs and, and materials and stuff um, for almost a year and a half before I even got to college, which really gave me an understanding of what I liked about the larger firms and what I didn't like and where I might want to look at where my internship, my future internships would be. Very cool. Now, how big was this firm? I think there was probably about 80 to 100 people and they had about two, three offices. And that varies 
very much from the firm that you ended up working for in Maine. Is that right? Yes. So um, my first like real internship uh, was after my third year and there was 12 people there. So we were in a really small town in on the coast of Maine and uh, that was probably the coolest experience I've ever had. Um, small firms, I feel, really help give you, you see everything. Um, you do the details, you get to meet the clients, you get to go on site. Um, six months into like actually full-time working there, um, they gave me my first project. And that was really scary because we didn't have enough help to um, really have much oversight on that project. And so there were a lot of missteps along the way, a lot of embarrassing ones um, also, um, but thankfully I had a really good contractor and he would just pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, this doesn't quite seem right. Why don't you pop on down and we'll see if we can figure this out. Like like how so? Like what, what examples? I wanna hear about these details. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've, we've all been there. <laughs> yes, I mean, and I've shared this. So if you've ever seen me speak for NCARB, you've probably heard this story. But the biggest and most embarrassing mistake I probably made, and thankfully, like, because I had a great contractor, it wasn't a problem. But one day I get this phone call and he said, why don't you come down here? We don't have enough headroom for the stairs to get to the second floor. And I was mortified because I mean that's a big that's a big element. It's not like putting a window in the wrong place. It's a stair to get to the second floor. Like they can't get there. They can't use the second floor unless you know, they can have a stair. So I popped down and the reason behind it was that I hadn't cut that section. I hadn't cut that building section because at that point in time I was terrified of building sections because I didn't understand them. And that was a turning point for me that I really needed to understand every aspect of my building or else I would have another screw up like that. And so when I got back to the office, I sat my mentor down and I said, look, I really need you to show me how you do this. And I need to understand this because I can't get by with being afraid of things because that will just lead to trouble. And if it could have been a bigger issue, it could have been tens of thousands of dollars that were on the line. Thankfully it wasn't and he caught it in time, but that could have been a big, I could have made a bigger mistake because I was scared. So, um, gotcha. Now, how have, how has working in a firm and, and being a licensed architect informed, you know, who you are and, and what you do currently with the AIAS? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, I don't, having listened to some of the other podcasts, um, I would say that I kind of got, I'm very grateful for where I am now because I personally got very bored with practice. Um, I really enjoyed seeing a building come together and um, being able to stand in something that I had created, but at the same time, I find detail extremely boring. Um, doing it the first time is fine, but having to go over and over and redo things and fix things and um, keep adding more detail, that is something that I find very hard to be able to stay focused on for long periods of time. Um, I don't think this is really going where your question was. 
Well, I think it, <laughs> I think it's definitely it's definitely informing us like why you made the jump out of out of working in a firm, right? Yes, um, but I, but it sounds like the experience that you have as an architect really helps inform, and it gives the students a good idea of like what what's next for them or what could be next for them if they go into um, working in architecture in the traditional sense or even not so much which is where you're at now yeah so yeah going back to your question in that sense um, I feel like my experience and background is going to eventually when we're able to um, really get some programs off the ground is really going to be able to help students coming out of school because I've been there. I understand where the struggles were. I understand um, what it's like to get that first job, maybe what it's like to be bored with that first job and realizing that this is how, how do I, how do I take what I'm learning now and transition it into something that I really, really want to be, that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I understand those struggles and can help guide people because I've also not only understand, but I've also spoken with so many people and have seen many people take different paths throughout their careers. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, thinking about what OB had really started with the Archetype project and this podcast, you know, it seems like something like this would have been really useful for you to explore other areas where your architecture and design background could be really helpful. Yeah, that definitely would have been handy um, back then. I mean, and the other thing is, is I don't, I don't at all regret being licensed. Um, it has a lot of weight. Um, and being able to talk to people about that um, means I, I think it gives it gives me a little more weight to stand on when I'm trying to talk with professionals because I, I understand where they're coming from so that does help. Great now do you believe the face of architecture and granted you're not that old Kim you still get confused for a college student so let's be real but in in your time of of working and everything. Do you believe and have you seen how the face of architecture is changing and from what to what? Oh, absolutely. Um, you, you guys will all laugh at this, but I've actually never used BIM. I've never, I, I don't even understand how that any of the softwares work. Um, back when I was practicing, and this was what, 2014, the end of 13, um, we were still doing all of our schematics by hand. So I feel like in my sense, I'm a very old school architect because, you know, 2D construction drawings and hand sketches is what I'm used to. So when I look at how large firms and even uh, a lot of the smaller firms are going into using BIM in their daily practice, I am actually really grateful I'm not going to school right now because I don't know how I would keep up. I mean, what I see from the students every year is just so remarkable. Um, the things that they're doing. We didn't have laser cutters. We didn't have 3D printing. Um, and I mean, I'm talking about going to school in the early 2000s. It wasn't that long ago, but things have progressed so quickly with technology that I'm just constantly blown away about the new things that are coming out. I mean, look at virtual reality. I mean, you can view a building 
on your phone and almost feel like you're in it. It's just, it's amazing where technology has taken us in 10 to 15 years. Well, do you feel like you have, have a place in the profession today? Or, you know, do you want one? And maybe that's, that's more in the line of like traditional architecture with an A, capital A. So I've thought about going back to work. I actually still practice a little bit. Um, I work for a friend back home and I do some um, construction drawings for him when he needs some help. Um, and every time I do it, I think, whew, I remember why I don't do this full time. <laughs> I'm very grateful for the fact that I don't have to do it full time. But that being said, there are some things that I've learned a lot through working with NCARB and through my role with AIAS that I actually really enjoy the networking aspect. I really enjoy helping people. Um, I really enjoy talking with professionals, talking with clients. I've met people from all over the world. And it's funny because even in my travels, if they're not in the architectural industry, I said I was had a delay one day and uh, no, I was in Nashville for a conference. I went to have dinner at a restaurant. For the AIS conference, uh, perhaps? It wasn't. It was a different conference, but it was about six months later that I did go back for the AIS forum. Yes. Um, but I ended up going to this restaurant and having dinner at the bar, and there wasn't enough seats. So I'm kind of standing waiting for a table or a seat at the bar to open up, and this couple asked me if you know this table that a four was taken and I was like no but you know they're like oh well sit down and join us and you know it was clearly that they it was clear that they were on a, a date you know date night and um but they, they and I tried to be as you know discreet as possible and not intrude but you know they started conversations with me and so when we finally figured out oh so what do you do and I said I'm an architect and then the husband pulls out his phone and he's like oh we've been talking about doing this house and and he pulls out how's the um, the apps that people can start uh, collages with and uh, shows me all of his dreams about the house that they want to build and where they want to build it and and the wife is just kind of rolling her eyes like yeah he uses that thing every night <laughs> but the fact that you meet so many different people I really like um, maybe more of the the relationship aspect of what architecture can be and I feel like a lot of us are very are not that great at those at maintaining those relationships and so if I were to go back into practice I think I would want to be more on that side of things um, talking to clients maintaining those relationships bringing in new business um, and doing that sort of work rather than the actual practice now you talk about when you were at a firm and you were just like oh I'm so bored can you pinpoint an exact time or or place or situation where you're like yep I've got to look for something new yes unfortunately it happened right in the midst of the recession so I was looking for a new job in 2008 2009 and the classes two years behind me couldn't even find work um, and while I was able to scrounge up a few interviews I um, they didn't really go anywhere not a lot of people were hiring so I felt like I was kind of stuck and that that 
that feeling of being stuck lasted for probably two and a half years, um, which was kind of discouraging. It was very discouraging actually because I was barely working on my internship. I was, wasn't even thinking about the exam. I was just kind of standing still and I really, really was not happy with where I was um, in my career at that point. Unfortunately, in 2010, I was given an opportunity to start a new job elsewhere, and it's really about the how much empowerment they give you and how much support. And if you have that good support system, um, for me, it was a game changer. I, I documented the rest of my IDP. I went and started taking my exams. Within two years, I was licensed. Um, I was running projects. It really, having that support system and someone to really invest and think that you are worth investing in um, is really something, there's something to be said for that. Uh, and I think there are some firms that do a wonderful job at that. And then there are others who um, maybe not so great. Well, in your eyes, in your opinion, what makes you an archetype? Well, I guess because I don't technically practice anymore, um, I think that's what makes me an archetype because I'm not in in practice designing buildings. And what does success look like to you now, then, or I'm sure it might be even ever-changing? Um, for me, it was getting licensed, actually. I know that sounds funny and a lot of people don't put a lot of, there are some people who don't put a lot of value on getting a license. But for me, it was the culmination of everything I've been working for. And while it may not have been important to me in 2008 and 2009, um, finally getting that license was like this freeing moment. Um, and so when I came to work for NCARB, it was so easy for me to be able to say, this is a job I'm taking for fun. When it stops being fun, then this job stops. And the... It was just so freeing to be able to feel that way about my career and to be able to really do something because I was enjoying it, not because I needed to do it, but because it was something that I wanted to do and it was fun and I loved it. Now, what advice do you have for students and young professionals who are thinking about a divergent path? Because of my background, I would say if you are even remotely close to getting licensed, just do it. You never know what sort of value that will have later in your career. And if you ever want to go back into practice, you have it. It also gives you a little, um, a leg to stand on and a little more um, accountability if you're at the table with someone else. Um, so that is definitely, I would suggest if you can make that happen, do it. Uh, everything else I think just do what feels right to you do something that is fun life is too short to be stuck at a boring job and a job that you don't like or you don't feel appreciated at so do do what makes you happy and if it's not the traditional path then so be it make your own path it's I mean people are doing it every day and look at where some of those folks are I mean they're doing amazing things so do what makes you happy and I think things will turn out licensed or not licensed or not but if you can get licensed I'd say do it <laughs> just because 
you never know. You, you really never know. I would not have been able to work for NCARB had I not been licensed. Um, so even for those students who are still in school and they're like, listen, I'm just going to finish this degree. I'm just going to finish this degree. Would you still encourage them to go get licensed? I mean, it depends if what they're doing. If, if it's something that they can remotely get IDP hours for or get IDP or AXP now, I guess. Um, if it's something they can get those hours, then log them. Why not? If you're doing something completely different, then, then I wouldn't worry about it. But to get the degree, too. I had a classmate drop out in March of our graduating year. And I was like, you just have to get through your thesis. Like, just, I mean, we're almost there, too. Like, you only have a month. But, um, so get the degree because uh, you don't want to have to be going back for that or wrapping up classes 10 years later when you've got a family and you're trying to figure out what your next move is. Just do it now. Or, or switch, switch degrees your senior year. That too, switching degrees out of architecture is really tough because we're so ingrained in, or at least where I went to school, you're so many architecture courses right off the bat. So yeah, just, just finish that degree. There are a lot of things, there's a lot of ways you can play that degree to your advantage. Right, you don't have to go into traditional architecture in that sense if you don't want to. Just because you studied architecture, there are a variety of different fields where having that background adds value. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen to the rest of the podcast. Great. Well, I think that's a great segue to close our our podcast of uh, season two. So thank you so much, Kimberly Tuttle, for joining me for the kickoff of season two of The Archetype Project.